9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. A Deep State holiday greetings to everybody as we approach the holidays. We're past Hanukkah, but we're on our way to Christmas and Kwanzaa and Epiphany and all these other holidays, which we uh, celebrate in the Deep State 8, because we, uh, as as Deep Staters uh, um, and, and, you know, current former government officials uh, and those close to them, um, live for holidays. Um, joining me on this episode of Deep State Radio, I have from far away London, England, uh, Corey Shockey. <laughs> are, are you actually... Are you actually in London, England? I am actually in London and besieged by the entire Shockey tribe for the holidays. Oh, well, that's nice. And London is very, for some reason, Christmas, which has nothing to do with England, seems like a very English holiday to me. Maybe that's love, actually, but it's something. <laughs> no, it's very festive and joyful here in London at Christmas time. Yes. Well, and in less festive Washington, D.C., we have the eternally less festive Rosa Brooks, uh, who is. Uh, I resent that, David. I'm extremely festive. Are you? Are you? Yes, just just, just, just because in her the, own dark way. Just because, just because I think the apocalypse is coming doesn't mean I'm not festive. No. <laughs> she will celebrate. She will ring in the apocalypse. Hell yeah! Rosa. Yeah, happy apocalypse, everybody. And yeah. And and reporting on that apocalypse will no doubt be um, David Sanger of the New York Times, who is somewhere uh, in the uh, third sub-basement of the New York Times, I think. Uh, right, David? I, I am, and I have a question for Corey, which is when you're besieged by relatives who've come in and camped out in your apartment in London, do you want them to be remain relatives or leave relatives? <laughs> and, and, and Corey, before you answer that, do they listen to this podcast? <laughs> I, I wish I could subliminally signal to all of them to, that hotels are available in abundance in the city. <laughs> and Corey, what is, use the code word. Are you under duress? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Um, well, I, um, I hope they listen to the podcast cause I think you will have delivered the message pretty directly there. Um, and they will all become leave relatives very quickly and joining us at some point a little bit later in this podcast, I believe will be, uh, Ed Lewis, who is, uh, also, um, bringing with him, uh, British good cheer. But what we do, um, you know, as a tradition here in the deep state, which is to say we did it last year and, you know, we're, uh, uh, you know, I think one of the mugs that we offer says making sense of the nonsense since 2017. Well, we're now in 2018, so we've had a whole year to do that. Uh, actually, the first whole year we've had to do that with. Uh, and so we thought we would this week look at um, kind of the um, uh, downside of the year 2018. What do we think, uh, you know, has driven us down here into our various silos during the course of the year? 
And then next week, which will be, of course, Christmas or later in this week, I guess, the second episode, we will discuss uh, the, the, the cheerier sides of the year, the things that we think were good and positive. Um, and, um, you know, Rosa, you are the lifetime holder of the thorny crown of entropy. <laughs> uh, and, so, and, and naturally you turn to me for, for seasonal cheer. Right, exactly. As one does. Right. As one as one does. And you know, what is it that had you pulling that thorny crown on ever tighter during the course of the year? Wait you can minute. just start with anything. Wait, are we talking are we are we are we coming up with our good things or bad things? But well, see, it's confusing for you. Or good, we bad were, things or bad things. We're good coming things. up with bad things that that um which you might view in a different light, but I'm oh. thinking if what 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 was what was wrong? Who who gets demerits? <laughs> Come on, what wasn't wrong? This is this is not fair. It's going to take me too long. Well, the, the, I mean, a, a tremendous amount was wrong this year. Um, needless to say, um, uh, Donald Trump was wrong. Brexit was wrong. Theresa May was wrong. Uh, crazy wacko tariffs were wrong. Stock market crashes were wrong. Um, um, let me see, uh, war in Yemen, humanitarian catastrophe, starving children was wrong. Uh, Syria remains wrong. Uh, Somalia is wrong, by the way, in case we just want to throw that in there. Um, South China Sea is wrong. Um, hmm. Shall I keep going? I think that's a good start. It's a good start. Uh, I, I did notice that we were killing people in the Horn of Africa even today. Um, which you know, people people seem to, you know, forget that we have we have uh, conflict going on there, uh, that the U.S. And, is involved. And that, by the way, is wrong too. Um, I, ironically, perhaps because we had higher expectations of Barack Obama's administration, which we we reasonably expected to act like a moderately sane, moderately responsive administration. Uh, we all uh, piled on top of him about uh, drone strikes and lack of transparency and lack of strategic wisdom uh, with President Trump. So much is wrong that we have largely forgotten about the uh, the completely unstrategic and lethal U.S. drone strikes as an issue because we, we have so many other terribly wrong things to worry about. But that's wrong, too. Well, there's one other thing you've neglected, and that is that 2018 was the year that Corey moved out of our country. And that's wrong also. <laughs> Corey, your relatives would not all be sleeping in your living room if you had, you know, for instance, moved to, I don't know, Albuquerque or, or <laughs> Chicago or something. Nobody would want to visit you. But there are parts, there are I parts just of, wanted to make the point that Corey yeah. left the United States because she thought its politics were so screwed up <laughs> that she had to go someplace sort of calm and safe. Squared away, with, right. With, with centuries of tradition of good governance. And look what she brought to the poor British people. <laughs> well, you know the way that people talked about the Greenspan put for the stock market and for interest rates, right? Well, I guess there's the... Uh, British historical put, right, that they can't actually be behaving at like drunken adolescents like this. They've got to actually think their way through this problem, right? There were actually stories in the newspapers over here that the British government, uh, that the European Union suspected an elaborate strategy on the British part because 
the choices they were making were so self-evidently self-destructive that they couldn't possibly be being made by a sober, sensible British government. Uh, well, yes, I, I, that's a, that's a good observation. Well, what would, what do you want to add to Rose's list? I was actually quite surprised that that uh, two things did not make Rosa's list because they are the two things that grieve me most. The decisions President Trump and his administration have made about border enforcement, not that they are enforcing uh, only legal admission into our country, but that they are choosing to do so in a way so manifestly um, cruel and so manifestly damaging to how I and I hope many others think of us as a republic, that that grieves me more than anything this year. And the second thing would be Trump administration's, again, willfully cruel decisions about refugees to cut the number to the lowest year to the lowest level since the program was started in 1980. And parenthetically, there has not been a single American killed by a terrorist attack propagated by a refugee who has come to our country in the program that was begun in 1980. The only violence by refugee, um, the only plotting of terrorism by refugees admitted to the United States were Cuban refugees admitted in the 1970s. So, um, so it grieves me that they are treating, first of all, that they're treating refugees like immigrants. They are different. And second, that both well, on refugees and on immigration, they are being so willfully cruel. And the latest example of it is the decision that uh, many Vietnamese and Cambodians are going to be deported who have been here since the 1970s. Yes, they're not just treating them like uh, immigrants, by the way. They're writing numbers on the arms of children, which has um, made uh, many people uncomfortable, given the... Including uh, me. Uh, writing the, the analogies with concentration camps, which they have also erected. And, of course, we had the very sad case of a seven-year-old girl who died at our border, uh, from dehydration after eight hours in custody uh, just a few days ago. So those are those are pretty horrific things. Uh, but David, I, I think you know uh, generously, uh, Corey has left you some some room there to add to the list. Well, I'm just shocked <laughs> once again by the optimism, the remarkable <laughs> optimism of uh, my friends. Corey and, and Rosa, because I was expecting one of them being the good, um, you know, political scientists that they are, because, you know, here I am just the schlubby journalist to make the point that we saw more of the collapse of the world order this year than actually I had expected to see. I mean, when you think about it now, we have had the administration walk away from as We've noted before everything from the Paris Accord to now um, the IMF uh, treaty, which seems likely to go away uh, or at least be suspended uh, next February. We have seen uh, the European Union dissolve. It's not um, 
uh, Donald Trump's fault. But uh, if, in fact, Brexit happens, others are going to want to uh, probably uh, go out as well. And then on top of all of this, um, we have seen sort of more chaos in Asia as the Chinese have begun to go use their muscle and respond to our um, pulling back from the scene. So a lot of the things that we suspected would happen, happen more quickly. And the big question, which maybe we'll take up in the optimism uh, segment we have later on, if we ever get to that, is um, whether or not this is reversible. In other words, how much actual damage has been done versus temporary damage has been done. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I sort of see in the distance a picture of Ed Luce, but I don't know whether he's actually in, on this, this phone in call. Your, in your mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ghost of Ed Luce present. Don't you, think, don't you think a virtual Luce is, you know, in some ways more useful to us than an actual Luce? I, I, oh, he's here. I, I'm, I'm actual, but I, I'm having um, really sort of spectacular problems with Skype, amateur problems. So my, my apologies for being visible to David and uh, my, my uh, congratulations to the rest of you for not being visible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wish that all of our listeners could see Ed. He's 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 at stately, loose manner, <laughs> surrounded by butlers, uh, wearing a you know top hat and waistcoat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and Ed, you missed coat. the part where we talked about all of Corey's relatives moving in with her in London. Have you broken the news to her yet that you're bringing the family over for a little unannounced visit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy cleaning out my 12-ball shotgun, as we speak. <laughs> um, but uh, once that's completed, I will I will appraise uh, Corey of the situation. So, you know, Ed, we've been talking about everything that's gone wrong in the year 2018. And clearly your relationship with Skype is one of those things. Uh, but, uh, you know, if we could go beyond that, perhaps, uh, you know, this episode, we're going to focus on the negatives. Next episode, we'll focus on what was good about 2018. That episode will be approximately five minutes long. This one <laughs> may be slightly longer. We, we, I just want to give you a chance to chime in in this first wave of commentary. Well, uh, my apologies if I'm um, repeating what others might might already have said. Uh, I, I think that there are a couple of things that have been shocking but not surprising, one of which is the degree to which antagonism with China has sort of loomed um, large, not just, um, you know, in Washington, but over the, the world as a whole. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to see the U.S.-China relationship getting better from this point or becoming less Prominent. I think it's just going to grow in prominence, probably in tension, and become the dominant sort of fact of our time, as we could have predicted, which is why I'm not surprised, as we could have predicted at any time, you know, really, since the start of this century and even before. But this year, um, 2018, is when it really came to dominate everything. And if you think where we were at the beginning of 2018 and where we are now at the end of it, um, the... Uh, you know, the, the Russia story is obviously strong, important, and it's probably going to get bigger again in 2019. But I think we've come to understand the difference between the tactical menace posed by Russia and the sort of far larger geopolitical competition 
um, that that US China um, uh, you know um, represents in in everybody's world nowadays. So that's one thing. Another is again shocked but not surprised is um, the speed with which that wonderful French souffle called Macron has collapsed. Um, you know, Merkel, I think we already knew by late 2017, um, was already, um, you know, waning as a, waning as a, a political force. Uh, and that really left Macron on the European stage and arguably the Western stage as a, a sole figure standing up for some of the traditional cooperative Western values with which, um, you know, we, we all used to be um, familiar. And he has just been really wiped away in, in the last few weeks. And that leaves us at a very stark moment where there is really nobody, you know, unless you think Justin Trudeau, you know, is up to the task. And I don't, I just don't think he commands a grand enough stage to, to be so. It re really leaves almost no, no individual that you could cite um, on the Western stage, standing up and arguing for uh, Western values and, and bringing others along with them and convening and inspiring and thinking of things, trying to be constructive. Macron clearly overreached. Um, I think he was probably overestimated in 2017 just because of the breadth um, of his um, presidential election victory. And we probably underestimated the shallowness of the sort of all things to all people um, party he he conjured out of pretty much nowhere and and now and now we're you know we're seeing a, a more realistic appraisal of what Macron represents which is perhaps not very much and so you know the demise of Macron and the just sort of dominance of the US China issue um, are, are the two um, largely negative um, developments in twenty in twenty eighteen, which to some degree have taken me by surprise, but not completely. Um, the the amazing thing is the degree to which you guys did not actually overlap on all of that, uh, and yet there was so much to discuss. Uh, Rosa, if you were going to hand out little thorny crowns of entropy to the worst actors of the year, who would who would I'm you not identify? Letting any of them have thorny crowns of empathy because they don't deserve them. Well, just thorns. How about one thorns. thorn okay, each? Thorns. Um, well, uh, I think that uh, Mr. Stephen Miller deserves a particularly large thorn. Uh, uh, and this is uh, following up on Corey's comments about uh, U.S. refugee policy and uh, border issues for the, the deep inhumanity uh, of the of his recommendations. So I would give a, a particularly big thorn to Stephen Miller. This is sort of like your previous question though, David, that, that, that I'm going to need a new thorn supplier um, or an entire bramble bush, because if I start actually listing everybody who gets thorns, it's, it's going to be a really long list. I'm going to need a lot of thorns. Um, but um, I think Mitch McConnell gets some big thorns for, uh, uh, for Kavanaugh and various other misdeeds. Um, who else is going to get thorns? Everybody's going to get. They're all going to get thorns. Donald yeah. Trump. Donald Trump can have an entire bramble. Well, I you know I think that's certainly well deserved. Um, I I know this is not in your nature, Corey. Um, as, as as you know, given your <laughs> inherent optimism and disinclination to be critical of anyone. Um, uh, but give it a shot. 
Oh, uh, I am happy to actually brush batters back out of the batter's box <laughs> this year. Not just Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, I think also uh, deserves rebuke oh, yeah. for uh, for having pretended that uh, austerity and fiscal responsibility were uh, an integral part of Republican congressional policy. And I fell for that one myself. So, uh, so that was a big shock. Uh, I think, um, the, every member of the Trump cabinet, uh, for, for reasons various deserve it. Obviously the secretary of defense should get off the most lightly, but I believe even the good and great Jim Mattis deserves to be castigated for uh, two things. One, uh, the fact that the president continues to give political talks and the vice president as well in front of military audiences. That politicization of civil military affairs, sorry about the siren going by in London. <laughs> the second thing that I think uh, the Secretary of Defense deserves criticism for is not either himself or the president um, making the case to the American people about why we are fighting the wars and risking our children in the places that we are. I think the odds are probably seven and ten the president will pull the plug on Afghanistan. And I'm sympathetic to the fact that if anybody else talks about it, it may provoke it. But that's not the same thing as winning the argument. Um, so, so Jim is the one who deserves the least criticism. And I realize I have focused all of mine on him, uh, but everybody else is a toboggan ride to Gomorrah downhill from where, from the secretary of defense's <laughs> performance. Um, let's, uh, let's leave plenty of opprobrium for the national security advisor past the last two and the current one. Did they all come in the last year? No, we no. have a little bit longer than a year. So, so I can just hit McMaster and Bolton. McMaster for um, never finding a way to talk to his boss in a way that got through to him, because that's all of our responsibilities. And second of all, for, uh, for this dangerous destabilizing notion of a bloody nose strike on North Korea. Uh, because I don't know if it scared the North Koreans, but I sure know it scared the South Koreans who are hedging against us at speed. Uh, and then let's add into that mix also, uh, let's see, um, what else would I add to that? Oh, there's also, well, that was in the first year, so I'll let that one pass. Uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Defense, uh, for almost every decision she has made uh the yeah uh, let's see i'll stop there no i'm well, just i was good i'm just sitting here going here here yeah those are those are some good choices uh and now i see ed has just popped up because he thinks i'm going to him next and um i see like lines of white powder on the table in front of him but <laughs> um that's his lunch that's his, oh, it's yeah. my lunch yeah yeah it's baking soda um, but well, let me go to David first, and then I'll go to Ed. So, D David. Well, I guess 
If I was going to look first here in the United States, I would say those responsible for a decline in um, the discussion of uh, morality in American politics. Now, one could easily, but it would be too easy, start with the tweets that we had just last weekend um, that referred to people who had uh, testified to the prosecutors Good as Good Lord, rats. that was crazy time. <laughs> right. And, and generally seem to adopt the language of gangster movies to presidential tweets, which seemed remarkable because rats in sort of gangster land are people who go over to the prosecutors and tell the truth, which seemed to be disturbing the president. But I was actually thinking of something more high-minded, which is those times when we had presidents, Republican presidents included, Ronald Reagan included, uh, but I would also say Barack Obama and others who basically talked about the role of American values in setting our foreign policy. Where we saw this in its baldest was in the effort to go try to cover for the Saudis in, after the Khashoggi uh, killing. And I think that that will go down in the annals of 2018 as a real turning point because it so revolted even uh, Republicans in uh, the Congress who had previously covered for much that the president had done, that they, at the end of the year, issued at least a sense of, of the Senate resolution that uh, was uh, basically that uh, the crown prince had to be held responsible for this. Uh, but it also caused us to go back and look at the American support on the war in Yemen, something that most Americans had paid no attention to. And what it did was force an argument for which 2019 should be really fascinating on the question of, do we really need to have the relationship with Saudi Arabia that has been so unquestioned, largely because of oil, for so many years? But morality and values in American politics didn't stop just in Saudi Arabia. It came up, obviously, in the separation of children uh, policy. Um, we discussed early in the broadcast the tragic death of the seven-year-old. We don't know if she was in terrible shape before she had been taken into custody. It may turn out she had been. But it seemed to capitalize on, or just capture, I should say, um, the image of an administration that was perfectly happy in the service of its um, desire to keep immigrants from uh, coming in over the border to go through what seemed like an enormously cruel family policy that you would be torn from your children and then have no system in place to go repatriate them outside the United States. And that seemed to me to uh, basically go back to sort of um, Abu Ghraib kind of images of America for much of the world. Um, on one sort of larger issue, we came through the year with one policy that Democrats and Republicans could agree on, which was a much tougher approach to China, which I think was needed, but without an overall China policy, as senior members of the administration will even uh, admit. And then I think Corey had raised earlier the concept of the bloody nose strike on South Korea, which I agree, Corey, was a terrible idea. But I think we have to rank as equally terrible coming off of a three or four hour meeting with Kim Jong-un and declaring that the nuclear problem was solved, therefore undercutting every effort that had been made over the years to force them to denuclearize. And we're paying for that even today. 
I see you that argument. It said draw. Which of those two things was worse? Um, there's got to yeah. be a happy medium. Yeah, like, we don't have to pick. They're both terrible. So, Ed, your picture has disappeared. Are you still with us? I am. I, I, I've had an amazing technological breakthrough where I, I found out how to turn the video function off. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, great leap forwards in cognitive developments happening live uh, on Deep State Radio. That's well, with the people are growing with us. They treat us like a family, really. Um, uh, Ed, you know, listening to, to Rosa and Corey and David, um, they've left you everybody else in the world to pick. They have. <laughs> I, I was just enjoying this accelerating toboggan ride downhill towards Gomorrah. Um, uh, and and uh, having to add more names to to this to this toboggan is, you know, it's a, there's an embarrassment of riches. I'm going to be a little bit counterintuitive, and start off with uh, Susan Collins and Jeff Flake. Uh, I think the um, uh, the art of virtue signaling whilst doing the opposite um, of pretending to hold Trump to account. Uh, but when push comes to shove, always being with him um, has been perfected. It's been sort of developed over many years, um, you, you know, amongst the so-called pragmatic moderate wing of the Republican Party, what's left of it. But I think this year, with the Kavanaugh vote and with our, and at other moments, um, Susan Collins uh, and Jeff Flake, you know, really, really took it to a new level. And so, you know, the pretense of bipartisanship, the going through the... Um, form, but not the content, um, is is something that's I, I think done a great disservice to uh, American democracy. Uh, I, I think democracy has to to work. It has to be seen to work to be working. And and in this system, that means you know acting um, as an individual more than more than as a parliamentary party. And I think both of them betrayed that this year, whilst pretending not to. Um, I would add to um, what David's just said about Mohammed bin Salman. Clearly, Mohammed bin Salman would be the number one um, uh, individual, I think, that you would single out in 2018 as having practiced um, extraordinary, unvirtuous, um, vicious um, arts of, of, of the modern statesman. A 31-year-old, you know, with untold of riches and power has missed misused it and abused it to an extraordinary degree. And I was delighted to see Jamal Khashoggi and other journalists made Times um, People of the Year um, for 2018. And whilst we're on, um, I'm not sure if he's technically a millennial. I think he's just on the cusp. But whilst we're on millennials, you know, one cannot overlook the role of Jared Kushner um, in, in this administration becomes ever more important to, to Trump as family, as unquestionably loyal family member, and becomes ever more um, influential um, in various um, quite hard to track sort of parts of the administration. Some, some are easy to track, such as his role in the um, you know, perpetually stillborn Arab-Israeli peace deal that he's um, yet to come up with. Um, and in others, like uh, his recent award, um, Honor from the, um, the government of Mexico, his role in helping create um, uh, Azmaka or NAFTA point two, 2.0, whatever it's called. Uh, but the fact that we've got you know, such an unqualified um, and such a, dare I use the word, entitled, senior millennial um, 
really at the centre of all things in this administration is, I think, a measure of how bad this administration is. And then finally, I have to, and Corey, I no doubt will appreciate this, I have to mention Theresa May. Um, uh, I, I don't think that um, uh, any prime minister could have mishandled the negotiations with Europe as badly as, as she did. Um, by declaring that Brexit means hard Brexit right from the beginning um, and uh, now taking Britain up to the point where um, it will therefore probably go, go off a cliff edge because the deal she negotiated is so unacceptable to Remainers and Leavers alike, uh, I think is, is the height of incompetence. But the fact that she is saying right up to this moment, and I'm no doubt will continue to say, uh, that a people's referendum, a second referendum, would be an insult to democracy because the people have already already decided, is is beyond sophistry. This is just just plain lying to a public's face um, to say that it cannot, with a dramatically sort of vast volumes of new evidence, have a second bite at the apple on a decision that will affect their lives and their children's lives for decades. Um, and she's saying this in the name of democracy is, is I think, an extraordinary disservice. And so I, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't complete that list without including, including Theresa May on it. I realized that uh, I had given an entirely domestic list on mine. And so I want to double back and add to the international villains on the list. In addition to those already named, uh, let's see, uh, who else? How did we get not get Vladimir Putin in the top five? Exactly. He's too easy. That's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> He's the cliche villain. I think this is like top of the pops, right? It's highest new entry. I mean, I he's been at number right. one for many years. <laughs> right. Yeah, although you got to give him special credit, right? I mean, we, we are living in a time that is more driven by him than any other global figure, whether it's 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 the EU coming apart or 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 the Brexit or Trump or the Trump campaign or some of you what's know, going David, on I, in the I Middle East. I dispute that. Don't you think that G is driving, President G is driving the, the, the global order and campaign with far greater influence than Putin has? I, right? I think I He think is, after G, all, commanding a... No, Putin I doubt. Putin is, after all, commanding a... a, a a society whose economy is the size of Italy's with no well, disrespect this, to Italy. This, this, I'm sure Italy appreciates that. But, uh, but I, I have to say, I, I think, and Corey can pick up on this, but I think that speaks to the, 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 the deftness of Putin. She has far more economic influence and, and potential political clout. But in terms of the things that you've listed here, You've seen the thumbprint of Putin on all of it um, uh, uh, to, to a remarkable degree, considering the fact that it's such a small economy. But, Corey, go on. Yep, I absolutely agree with you, David, that it is um, that Putin is playing a very weak hand, very adroitly in the short term. That is the term in which he anticipates being in office and disastrously over the long term for Russia, because uh, so two reasons I think he should outrank Xi in 
influence of destruction. The first is that the European order was the most settled part of the world. It's the place where the liberal order was webbed most tightly. And European countries are the countries that have the, the greatest wealth, the greatest power, the control over international institutions. And Putin unsettled Europe and unsettled the transatlantic relationship. And that's a bigger achievement than what Xi has has achieved in Asia. And the second thing is that uh, um, while the president of the United States may say China is more of a problem in election tampering in the United States than Russia, um, that may be a judgment about their potential. Uh, it's certainly not the judgment about the effect they have had in the United States in causing us to distrust our own institutions. Um, and also the third reason I think uh, Putin has had, deserves to top, to come out on top of FG is the fact that Putin managed to do all of this while keeping the president of the United States defending and supporting him, even against the intelligence agencies of the United States, even against congressional objections, whereas she has simply consolidated people in opposition to him. All right. Rosa, we've only got three or four minutes left, but we're zeroing in here on the worst person of the year. So, And, and by the way, they can't be a member of the current deep state radio panel. No. No, none of us are the worst people of the year. Um, we might be uh, competitors, but well, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what our audience doesn't know is in their best interest. But Rosa, do you want to offer up a, a, a vote here on the worst person of the year? Well, overall, I, I, I have to go with Donald Trump. Um, and I know that Saturday Night Live has beaten me to it with a, a version of the Christmas, a Trump-themed version of Dickens' The Christmas Carol. Um, but but uh, if I were doing a version of The Christmas Carol with, with Donald Trump in it, it would be a little, it will be a little bit bleaker. Uh, and, and Trump in his dreams would have to uh, tour uh, uh, barbed wire cages for refugee children and so forth. Um, I think in terms of sheer sheer damage done to a country that I care about, uh, Trump is Trump is going to win the prize this year. And I would love to see ghosts where dragging chains clanking, clanking through his dreams. I hope his dreams are are haunted. Well, that's a lovely uh, sentiment and wishing ill on the president in that way is I, I, I'm sure we all join you in that. Uh, but Saturday Night Live actually was a reference to It's a Wonderful Life. It was not a Christmas carol. Um, oh, no. I've been misinformed. Yeah. Um, I've been misinformed by David Sanger. Well, he probably goes back to the literary roots. I'm sure It's a Wonderful Life is based in part on a Christmas carol and, you know, the ghost of Christmas, whatever. David, uh, there you, you, you're, yeah. you're mixing up your Dickens and your Jimmy Stewart's or whatever. Yeah, Dickens and Frank Capra. <laughs> that well, that, that might have been that might have been Sanger who missed missed it up at the beginning. So you know, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, this is the year of fake news, right? So, yeah. Well, it's all right. I think the the sentiment comes through. I think David has offered his view on this. Uh, Ed, we have only a minute or so to go. Um, uh, do 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 you have a, a vote for the villain of the year? Well, it's a close race. I mean, uh, Michael Avenatti would have been on the short list. 
Wow. Um, you know, Fox don't get too many things right, but creepy porn lawyer is, is uh, you know, one, one accurate description. Um, but I have to go with the consensus and choose Donald Trump. Nothing, no, no, no torturiness from uh, Avenatti is going to compare with the damage this president has done. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it's, it sounds to me uh, like it's pretty close between Trump and Putin. Uh, but then again, the closeness between Trump and Putin is probably the defining characteristic of this year and um, uh, and last year, uh, and likely the defining characteristic of next year. Um, but we will get to that as we get to we get to the year ahead. Um, is there anybody else? Anybody wants to save a, a negative shout out for the year? A bad movie, a bad book, a bad meal, a bad haircut. This is your chance to do some petty score settling before. Oh, wait, I have one more. The leader of Venezuela. Oh, well, yes, Maduro. People in Venezuela have lost 19 pounds because there's not, on average, because there's not food to eat. This is not a a poor country. It's not a famine, uh, scourged country. This is what bad political choices and an absolute disregard for the well-being of your own people produces. Excellent. Excellent addition to the list. Um, So uh, anybody else with the last uh, addition to the list here as we as we go? I I, I think we're all eager to move to the um, to to the world order of, of to the bright side years. of good news. That the yeah. bright, right, right, right. You know, I don't know what the problem is. With, oh, but know. wait a minute! I do have one last last nasty thing to say. A really genuinely terrible book that I want to publicly castigate, which is Jeffrey Sachs' new book on American foreign policy, which. Um, shockingly enough, was published by Columbia University Press, although it is a collection of newspaper articles in which he makes the case for the bankruptcy of American attitudes about the world and and talks with great pride about the Bernie Sanders he knows and supports and is defining for and is and is helping define his Jeff national the security Bernie Sanders guy. Yes. Not surprised. Did, did we know this? It's not surprising. Uh, um, this, really? this is the worst book on American foreign policy published in the year of our Lord, 2018. Wow. Now that's the kind of thing that people tune into Deep State Radio for. <laughs> All those nerds will go out there and hopefully... Don't that, buy it! Yeah, Do well, not hopefully, buy this book! Ed, do you have a worse book of the year that you want to give a shout out to? Or... A pundit you hate? You know, it's just something you want to throw into the mix before we wrap it up. A pundit that I hate? Um, I, I, I think it's a little bit risky for me to start naming names because once I start, I'll get on my own toboggan um, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, end up, I'll end up being hated universally. There's lots I like. Uh, can I can I save no. those for the next no. episode? Yeah, the oh. next episode. Yes. Everybody everybody wanted to hear you say Gomorrah again, as opposed to <laughs> Gamora, as we say it. Um, I, I think uh, I'm pretty Sodom. Sure that, I, I'm going to switch to Sodom. Yeah, okay. 
Um, that, I, I really did it. not need that visual. Mike. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we could talk about who should be turned into a pillar of salt in the next episode. <laughs> well, the, well, there's that to look forward to. Does that to, list folks. overlap with the, the Thorn recipients? I'm sure yeah. it does. Yeah. Can, I'm can sure. I propose a visual sort of synthesis of everything that we've just said, which is the worst moment of the year was was Putin and Trump and Helsinki. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's I'm, right. On a sort of you geopolitical... Could, you could also argue that it was among the more amusing moments of the year. Um, is, is that Corey being arrested by the London, the good London? <laughs> that, that, that's that was, Corey that was... calling in the cops to arrest David for suggesting that that was humorous as opposed to disastrous to the liberal order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, this has been a, a, a deeply depressing episode, something that our listeners look for each week. Uh, and I warn them that the next episode is actually going to be cheerful and upbeat uh, as we look at the good things that came out of the year 2018. Uh, in the meantime, I uh, uh, hope you will uh, visit deepstateradionetwork.com for our other podcasts and our other stories and you know, this is there's still time for you to go and sign up, be a member. You know, ten uh, percent of everything that you spend on membership goes to the Malala Fund and the International Rescue Committee this year. Uh, next year, we'll pick uh, other charities, uh, but you can also get a fantastic limited edition Ministry of Snark Christmas ornament. Um, something that I, I'm sure uh, uh, each and every one of our panelists will enjoy since that's what their Christmas gift is going to be. In any event, everybody, thank you very much. And uh, uh, thank you, Corey and Rosa and Ed and David. And please join us again for the next episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.